Good morning. Who's invited to a Christmas dinner with you this year? If you're hosting, maybe you're not, maybe you're one of the people who's been invited to someone else's house, but if you are hosting, or if you were going to host, who'd be invited around for dinner with you? I wonder if it would be your friends and closest family, uh, people who you really love, whose time you enjoy. Maybe there is the awkward auntie or uncle or um, somebody who you kind of feel an obligation to invite. But if you could put together a list of dinner guests for your ideal Christmas, your ideal evening together, I wonder who would be on that guest list. Well, we finished last week's story in Acts chapter 10 with a dinner. If you missed it last week, um, we'll do a recap. Basically, this week's story is Peter recapping everything that happened last week and dealing with a problem that rises up in, a ch- in the church because of last week. Well, what had happened? Where did it finish? Finished with a dinner. Peter, the great apostle, the one who had the keys to the kingdom, the fisher of men, and the one who's the apostle to the Jews, one of the key figures in the early church, the great apostle Peter, invited to dinner with Gentiles. See, that was not the done thing. We'll find that in the story when we read it in a minute, but it was a beautiful end to the story last week because, you see, it was all about how Gentiles are invited to the table. People who are on the outside, who are far away from God, who traditionally, by the way of living, by the way of believing, by the way of being brought up, just didn't know God. Gentiles, far away from him, being brought close to eat at his table. And then Peter was invited to eat at the Gentiles' table, and he welcomed that invitation gladly. Not something most Jews would do, as we'll find. But that's where we finished last week, dinner, where everyone was invited. The most unexpected people, the most awkward of invitations to people who really didn't belong, they were invited to the table. And then they invited Peter to their table and had dinner together. Let me read this week's story because that dinner made a real splash in the church community of the day. Acts chapter 11, if you want to follow along. Let me pray and then we'll get stuck into this next bit of the story. Lord God, we thank you so much for, um, for the story of Cornelius and Peter. Thank you that it means that Gentiles like me, like us, are welcome at your table. Though, Lord, we're far away from you naturally, though we so often drift from you. Lord, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to come to your table and, and be nourished by your spirit. Lord, to have fellowship with you as our Father and to know that the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection counts for us. Lord, that is such a precious thing. We pray you'd help us to see that clearly today. Help us to know that we're welcome at your table. And so to go and welcome others, Lord, uh, we ask that you'd be with us as we read this next part of the story. You help us to understand it and you would apply it to our lives that we would go out and live it for your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa, which is by the sea, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds, the kind of things that it wouldn't be lawful for Jewish people to eat. And I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being a good Jew, replies, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. 
the voice spoke from heaven a second time. This is God speaking and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who'd been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. See, these were Gentile men, probably shouldn't go with these people, at least according to the usual traditions. But God says, go, don't hesitate. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. So Peter's standing with six other Jewish Christians who were kind of witnesses of what had happened. And they're standing here in Jerusalem with him, uh, kind of bearing witness. And so he says, verse 13, I'll carry on. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's a, basically a repeat of last week's story, isn't it, if you were around then? So I wonder why God is teaching it to us again this week. Why does Luke, as he writes the story, why does he put that repetition of the story straight after he's just told us the story from his perspective. Well, why did we go through it again? Well, because it had caused a great big splash in the church. I wonder what, uh, if you had spotted that at the beginning of the passage. Peter, this great leader, comes back to Jerusalem and there's all sorts of gossip going around. People have been waking up in the morning, leafing through the headlines of what's been happening around the world. In the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks, they've got their newspapers open with their cornflakes and they've been reading their usual headlines. Herod has bumped off this person and gone off with that wife of somebody else again. Uh, the Romans are conquering more and more land again. I don't know, fish in the sea have been fished again. <laughs> all the usual kind of stuff that you would expect. And then all of a sudden, Peter has sat down and eaten a meal with Gentiles. And you can imagine somebody spluttering and spitting their coffee over their cornflakes as they read that headline. It's not something that you would expect to read every day. It's something really disturbing, something really out of the ordinary, something that nobody, no good Jewish person would ever be seen dead doing. You see, they criticize Peter, the great leader of the church. They call him before them and all these circumcised, tidy, law-abiding Jews, but also Christians, say, Peter, you went to the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. See, the church was beautiful in many ways in these days. We've read, if you've been hanging with us over the last couple of months, some really beautiful stories about the kind of care that there was within the church in Jerusalem, how they sold things and gave their money to each other, how there was nobody who had need, how they looked after, eventually, widows of all sorts of different backgrounds, how they organised things so that the church was really a life-giving place to be, but there's still stuff bubbling under the surface which really shouldn't be there. In this story, there's prejudice, even maybe bigotry, bubbling under the surface that really shouldn't be there. You see, there were no laws in the Old Testament that said that you couldn't eat with Gentiles. They'd taken it too far. Um, 
they've taken it to the point of forming traditions and habits of kind of nurturing prejudices in their hearts that meant that they they weren't just supposed to or they didn't just kind of keep distance from Gentiles in their conduct and their way of life, but they kept distance from them full stop. So they didn't even eat with them or spend time with them. The problem that these guys have with Peter is that they don't think he should be going near Gentiles, which actually, if you read the Old Testament, is full of promises, full of stories, um, full of hints, more than hints, but instructions that the people of the earth should be a part of God's promises, that all of the nations should be coming in and eating at God's table, coming to his mountain, being at his temple and worshipping him. So how on earth did they get to that point? Well, I don't know. That's something for us to dig into the history if you're interested in that question. But here they are. Jewish Christians, full of prejudice, full of questions and criticism for Peter because he's gone and eaten with Gentiles. By the end of the story, though, um, it's quite different, isn't it? By the end of the story that Peter tells them, they have no further objections. They're silenced. And instead, their hearts bubble over, not with criticism this time, but with praise with worship of God. So there's, some, there's a big risk to the church at the beginning of the story. And by the end of the story, it's been put to bed, at least for now. It comes up again as a problem later on. But what's the problem at the beginning? Prejudice that's leading to disunity. People saying, no, well, we're better than them. They don't belong at the table. All sorts of dividing walls that seem to be going up within the church. Partition walls to keep people apart from each other. And Peter does something, tells a story that by the end, has all those walls crumbled down, all those criticisms silenced, and instead people are together praising God. Well, what's the story that he tells? Let's go. It's got four parts to it, okay? Peter begins actually as one of those prejudiced ones. He's one of these Jews who's just kind of grown up with the habits of not being close to Gentiles. And so God deals four hammer blows to his prejudice as we go. Four things that help him to see that everybody's invited to God's table. But how does he see that? How does God change him? Well, four things, okay? If you want to write them down, we'll keep them in mind. We'll go through them briefly. God speaks, God commands, God prepares, and then God acts unmistakably. Four things that happen in Peter's story. The first is God speaks. God speaks to him. He has this vision of the animals kind of coming down out of heaven in this great sheet and here's the voice saying eat and he says no I won't eat and then the voice says no eat don't call what God has made to be clean unclean don't reject what God has welcomed and actually he eventually realizes that this isn't just talking about food it's not talking about having a bacon roll by the beach it's talking about how people are welcomed it's rebuking that attitude that Peter had and many others had, a kind of gag reflex, not just against different types of food that they hadn't grown up with, but against different kinds of people that they hadn't grown up with. See, they pushed people away, not just about food, it's about people. But God spoke to him and starts to loosen the roots of this prejudice, starts to shake them to their very core. And then the second thing that God does is commands. These lads turn up at the door, sent from Cornelius, the Gentile centurion, and they say, would you come with us and speak? Tell him about Jesus. Would you come with us and visit this Gentile? And Peter, presumably, would be somebody who said, well, no, I'm not going to go and eat or spend time with the Gentile. But the Lord says to him, very clearly, commands him to go with them. Don't delay. Don't hold back. Go. Go with them. 
So God speaks to him very clearly. God commands him very clearly. And then when he arrives um, up in Caesarea at Cornelius' house, God has clearly gone before him and prepared. So God speaks, God commands, God prepares. So that when Peter turns up at Cornelius' house, what does he find? He finds people ready to hear about Jesus. He finds people whose hearts have been ploughed up into good soil so that when he speaks the words of the gospel, when he plants the seed of the good news of Jesus, it takes root and grows. He finds that God has prepared the hearts of the most unexpected people, people you would never expect to be invited to the table of the king, but there they are. God has prepared the way. And what happens as soon as he starts speaking? He hasn't even finished the sermon yet. And God acts, hammer blow number four, unmistakably. God spoke to Peter, loosens the roots. God commands Peter, don't hold back, go, meet, (laughs) eat. Number three, God's been preparing the way, preparing this other man's heart. And then number four, God pours out his spirit, gives his spirit unmistakably to this Gentile guy. And Peter, well, what does he say? He says, what could I do? God had clearly worked. God had clearly given me instructions multiple times over. He'd been at work by his spirit, poured out his spirit. I'm not going to stand in his way. How can I stop God from doing what he's decided to do? That's in verse 17. If God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think that I could stand in his way? Four hammer blows against Peter's prejudice. I wonder if there's people in church who you feel awkward about. I wonder maybe if you're not in church at all, just listening in to these sermons from a distance because you feel like maybe there is a wall or some kind of barrier keeping you away from church. Uh, Maybe there are. Maybe Christians that you've known in the past, maybe Christians you know right now, have thrown up all sorts of barriers and stopped you from, from getting any closer to God. Well, those are four things there that show us, that teach us lessons that God wants. Everybody, all kinds of people, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, whatever ethnicity, whatever colour of your skin, whatever you've done in the past. And Cornelius, as a centurion in the Roman army, had presumably done some pretty messed up stuff. He was a man who was pretty serious about God, prayed and gave to the poor and you know believed in God, but he needed something more. He needed God to work in his life. He needed Peter to come and speak to him. Reminds me of a story I heard um, quite recently about a missionary couple, a husband and a wife, who were traveling somewhere in um, Central Asia, traveling in their car, and they pulled over at a petrol station. And it was a pretty scary experience. They um, had to go and pay for the petrol at this petrol station out in the middle of nowhere. They had to walk past a big burly guy with a big beard carrying a Kalashnikov, an AK-47 machine gun. (laughs) And so they go in, pay for the petrol as fast as they can. They're pretty scared of this guy on the door. Walk past him, get back in the car and drive off. And as they're driving away, if I've told you this story before, as they're driving away, one turns to the other and says, I think we should go back and talk to that man on the door. I don't know what it is, but I think we should go. And the other says, no way, scary looking guy. That would not be a safe thing to do in these parts. We are driving on. They drive on a little bit further and then, no, I really think we should turn back. Really think that God wants us to go and speak to this man. And so they did, summoned up all their courage, pray that God would would protect them and drove back, turned the car around, drove back to the petrol station, walked up to this man and said, I'm sorry, this is a very strange um, thing, but I think we might need to talk to you about something. And the man, big, burly, bearded guy with a gun, breaks down in tears and said, I had a dream. I had a dream that somebody would come and talk to me about God, would come and 
open God's book with me and teach me about him. Just a, a few years ago, pretty recently, a story that's really, really similar to this, where God had worked in the most unexpected people to bring them close to him. Are you somebody who's far away, just listening to sermons, maybe not quite ready to come to church? Well, you belong. You belong with us, you belong with God. Don't let anything hold you back from coming to him, from coming to find out what's written about Jesus in the Bible, from coming to find out about salvation. See, that's what Cornelius needs. It doesn't just need to be a, a better person. He's a really quite a good man already. Whatever's happened in his past, he's managed somehow to turn it around. He even believes in God. But he really needs to come and meet Jesus specifically. He needs him. And Peter also needs to be open-handed and welcome him. So if you're a member of the church, I wonder if there are people that you look down on. I wonder if there are people who you, to be honest, wouldn't invite around your dinner table. I wonder if there are people who you haven't spoken to in church, maybe ever. I wonder if there are people who you just feel awkward about speaking to. Well, here are four hammer blows that should smash up our prejudice, loosen its roots, and plant a different tree in our hearts, the tree of love for our neighbours. One, God speaks to us clearly in the Bible, not just to Peter, not necessarily through dreams and visions for us, but God speaks to us very clearly in the Bible and says, the prodigal son is welcome. The woman caught in adultery is welcome. Uh, the woman who everybody knew she was a sinful woman, uh, who came to Simon the Pharisee's house and embarrassingly poured her tears and perfume on Jesus's feet, she was welcome. Those lepers, Jesus met lots of them, who were lived outside the city gates, who nobody wanted to get anywhere near, they were welcome. Zacchaeus, the tax collector who everybody hated, who ripped off everyone in town, he was welcome. Even Pharisees, even the people who were crucifying Jesus, Jesus looked down from the cross in agony and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Everybody's welcome, whatever you've done, whoever you are, whoever they are, who we as Christians have nudged to the margins. Know they're welcome. Jesus welcomes them, invites them to be around the table of the king. See, God has spoken to us really clearly in his word, hasn't he? And he's commanded us to love our neighbours. The story of the Good Samaritan is all about the unexpected neighbour who loves the person who's very different from him, who he should, perhaps by cultural rights, just wander past as his enemy. But he doesn't, he stops, the Good Samaritan stops and looks after this man who should be his enemy. We're commanded to love our neighbours, whoever they are, whatever they've done. God speaks to us, God commands us. God prepares the way, and I know plenty of stories. The story of that bearded, burly man with the machine gun. The story of God preparing the way before we even get there in the most unexpected people. Don't be surprised to have some surprises this week about who God is working in around you. And then God acts. He's poured out his spirit on all manner of people. In fact, he promised to do that way before this happened. The prophet Joel, writing hundreds and hundreds of years before this, said this. I will, says God to us, pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great day and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what had happened in the very first chapters of Acts. The Holy Spirit had been poured out not just on one or two special guys, but on all the people in the church, in an upper room. Men, women, uh, important, 
small, and people named, people unnamed, rich and poor, had had God's Holy Spirit poured out upon them, had begun to participate in God's life, Father, Son and Spirit. They'd been drawn in to the very centre, the heart of God. People like you and me, that happened right at the beginning of Acts. And now Peter says, do you remember that time in that upper room right back at the beginning when God poured his Spirit first on all of us, like he promised in Joel hundreds of years ago? Do you remember that? That happened to these Gentiles and I saw it with my own eyes. What happened to us at the beginning has happened to them again. God has acted. God has acted in the lives of the people that I know around me. Most unexpected people. People who've done all sorts of things. He's acted in my life really unexpectedly. Forgiven me. Been gracious to me. Been gracious to you. If you call yourself a Christian, he's acted unmistakably in you. Most unexpected of people, right? Why would he be interested in me? Why would he be interested in you? And yet he is. He loves you. And he loves me and he invites each one of us to the table and says, leave your prejudice at the door. Don't you put up a wall against the people who I've welcomed. That's a word for us as a church today to remember that we're saved by grace. That we're welcomed and invited because God chooses who to invite. That we don't make ourselves better or make ourselves worthy or dress up in the right kind of religious clothes in order for God to welcome us. No, he welcomes us by grace alone, just because he loves us. Invites us because he wants us there, not because we deserve it. That's the story of Cornelius. It's the story of Peter. Man, if you read Peter's story, he was not a good guy. He made all sorts of different mistakes, and yet God welcomed him. And God welcomed Cornelius. And God sent Peter, the apostle to the Jews, to go to this Gentile. And then to come back to the church and say, you know what, they really are welcome. Leave your criticism at the door. Get rid of that prejudice. God has brought these people close, so we should too. Who is it in our church? I asked this question last week, didn't I? Same question again this week. Hammering at our own prejudice. Who is it that's not really welcome in our church? Who is it that we kind of go, oh, nice to have them there, but really don't welcome them? Who is it that feels like they're sort of on the edge? Can we go and welcome this this week? Who are you going to invite around your table? Who's going to be an unexpected invitation this week? People who wouldn't naturally think, oh yeah, of course I'll invite them around for dinner. Who would be the person you'd least expect to see at your table? I wonder if you could go and invite them this week. If you don't have a table of your own, <coughs> book a table, go up for coffee and meet with somebody unexpected. Who can you pull in and bring in and say, I know it's strange, isn't it? But I think they really should be part of God's community. We should love those who are different. Um, some of us are pretty good at that. Some of us are, um, are open-handed, open-armed, everybody's welcome kind of people. Well, the lesson for us this week is to remember, remember repentance. Okay, remember that Cornelius, through Peter's message, repented and turned away from his old life and turned to God. So if you're somebody who's a, already a very big, open-hearted, open-handed, everybody's welcome kind of person, maybe that's the word for you this week, that the thing they're praising God for right at the end of the story is that repentance has been granted to these unexpected people, the Gentiles. Repentance that leads to life. Everybody's welcome at the table, but when you come to the table of the king, it means leaving your old life behind. It means lots of big changes. You don't have to make those changes before you come. Everybody's welcome, but you'll find when you come and meet the king, there'll be things you just want to leave behind, things that you know you need to get rid of. So help people as you welcome them, as you bring them close, help them to see what it means to follow with the king. Help them to see that it means life in its fullness, but it also means letting go of that old life in many ways. That's a word for those of us who are open-armed, but then there's others of us who aren't particularly open-armed. 
who are kind of fairly closed with our Christianity, who want to be pure, who want to be holy, who don't want to be um, tainted by people around us. And that's a good desire. We want to be pure and holy, but it can sometimes lead us to disconnect ourselves from others. It shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't um, hide ourselves away from other people. We shouldn't stay in that car and drive away from the dangerous burly man with the beard and the gun. It was right for them to listen to God's voice, turn around and risk it all to see if he might join them at the table of the king. And so I wonder if you might take more risk this week. If you're more of a closed person, a kind of keep yourself away from other other people kind of person. If you're struggling to think of non-Christian friends or neighbours or family who you can really talk to, who really knows you, who you really know, then that's the word for you this week, is to go and find your Cornelius, to go and find the person who is a little bit dangerous, a little bit... And maybe people might even look down upon you a little bit for going to spend time with them. I wonder if there's anybody that God has put in your life like that. Well, see, the church here begins with disunity, begins with criticism and arguments, but ends with unity and worship. And I read you some verses from Ephesians um, to finish. This is what God had done in that church in Jerusalem. And this is what he calls for us to do today. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're one together. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Cornelius and Peter, two very different people who God brought together. Jews and Gentiles, two very different groups of people who God had brought together. There's all sorts of dividing walls, all sorts of things that might keep us apart from others, but in God's church, you belong. In God's church, you leave your old life behind and you come to him and say, I wanna be fed at your table. I wanna be the one who belongs to one family, one God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism, one faith one table. I wonder if you're part of that today. Don't let anything hold you back from leaving it all behind and coming to know Jesus. Don't let anything make you hold other people back from coming to know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your graciousness, your patience with us. Thank you that you haven't put up any barriers to us um, coming to you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to get rid of everything that does keep us all of our sins that we so often hold on to. Lord, all of our prejudices against other people that we so often hold on to. Lord, help us to see what they are. I don't think Peter could have seen it. I don't think these uh, Christians in Jerusalem spotted that prejudice. But Lord, you were there working with your, um, with your hammer to smash it up and to bring love and graciousness and unity to the church. To bring praise and joy and warmth to a place that was so divided. Lord, we pray that you would make our church a place like that. We're people from all sorts of different kinds of backgrounds, all different nations, all different parts of our fractured society can come together and be one. Lord, did you unite us, we pray, around the Lord Jesus. Help us to be open-hearted, open-handed. Lord, help us to come to you and, um, and trust that you will bring us together. As you did with Peter and Cornelius, Lord, would you do with us today and make us people who love you and who love our neighbours. Um, amen.